Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Biff Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Mee, and joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, Mr. Adam Shear. How you doing, Adam? Doing great, Jerry. I know we were just chatting about uh, dog life. Yes. Live. Jerry's got a new puppy to our fans, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Winnie, Winnie the Golden Doodle Puppy. All right. Welcome, Winnie, to the pod as well. Yep. Newest <laughs> member of the Biff Bites family. Excellent. We got a good episode today, Jerry. I'm excited for we it. We do. We have an awesome guest that I'm really excited about. Um, you want to you wanna introduce him, Adam? Yeah. My, my new friend, Dominique Henderson. Dominique is a CFP and has a fantastic story of the journey. And where Dominique and I crossed paths was a discussion that we had just surrounding career changers and, and how we've seen that in our work. And what you learn about Dominique, and I'm sure he'll share, is uh, not only does he run his own RIA, hold the CFP marks, he has this fantastic program called Jumpstart University, where he gets to see a lot of people in real time that are new to the financial services world and looking at the various options to, to move forward. So Dominique, welcome. We're really honored to have you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the uh, warm introduction, Adam, and uh, happy puppy life to you, Jerry. Uh, that is not going to be fun, but I don't want to ruin it. Oh, no. <laughs> We've already had our trials and tribulations, to be sure. <laughs> oh boy you know it's nice being able to to work from home and spend that extra time with the puppy which i think really fits in with uh kind of the career changing because the financial industry is probably one of the most favorable industries as far as you know giving workers the flexibility to kind of set their own schedules don't, don't you think yeah i think um this is a very very interesting age that we live in i don't know that it's unique to financial services obviously that's the topic of our conversation but i think just as knowledge workers and knowledge work you know continues to expound across you know the domain of all the different ways that you can kind of let's just say pull up your laptop or your ipad or your home computer and and be just as efficient and productive as you would be is if you clocked into somebody's office and sat down at a desk. Um, I think that's a, a really, really cool thing um, for particularly career changers because it gives them the option to um, have flexibility. Like if they're in a current job or career and they need, you know, that time that is particularly pretty precious, you know, when you think about commuting and traffic and all the different things that you can do, like if you can just do that from home and you can save some time by watching some YouTube videos or taking a class or all that kind of stuff. It's it's really convenient. So I'm thankful and grateful for this age that we live in. Obviously, it has its downfalls, just like any other age that we've been in. But uh, for the most part, I think it's you know, pretty positive. Now, one thing, you know, Adam and I have noticed uh, as far as like with our own students and kind of the industry in, in general is it really feels like kind of COVID uh, kickstarted this in this entire age, you know, especially with all these career changers, you know, People realized, hey, I don't want to be going in my same nine to five. I don't want to be, um, you know, slaving under a boss who doesn't care about me and is, you know, <laughs> putting my life on the line in some cases. You know, I'm going to I'm going to think about being my own boss and I'm going to think about, you know, maybe changing careers. And I think we've seen a huge upswell in in members joining the community. Uh, it's kind of interesting you put it that way. Um, I almost have quoted what you said verbatim, especially people thinking about, well, because I, I had, I wrote a book in, um, in May uh, and published it in May. And 
some of the, well, a lot of that book, the thesis around it was the conversations I was having during the pandemic where people were really, for the most part, feeling that they were living beneath their potential, whether that was from a financial standpoint or just, you know, more uh, holistically with not feeling fulfilled um, in, in what they were doing, particularly when they're driving to work in a nine to five that they don't enjoy. And you think about the risk of that, not to be all morbid, but just to say you get in a debilitating accident or something like that on the way to work to a job that you don't want to go to. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I think COVID allows, you know, it, it was negative in a lot of ways, but some of the positives is it allowed people to kind of reflect on where they were in life to kind of see what could they do? How could they shift things? What questions could they ask themselves in order to get more meaning in their lives? Um, so yeah, I've, I've noticed a, a a, a really big upswell, particularly in the, the conversations that I've had with um, community members in Jumpstart. So I, I think that was one of the gifts that um, the pandemic handed us. For sure. And I'm really interested to kind of hear about your pathway. So I guess maybe we can rewind back in time, you know, even even past, uh, you know, 2019 and, uh, you know, go all the way back. You know, how, how did you find yourself being a career changer? And I guess what, what was kind of the, the career change, you know, path that you fell on? Yeah, you you said all the way back. Watch it now, because I got gray hair here, so I don't want to get, I don't want to feel some type of way. Because you, it's it's a four hour man. podcast, four uh, hour yeah. podcast. <laughs> uh, so my path um, is it's kind of interesting in that I went to school, um, finance degree, graduated in uh, May of '98, and started working for a hedge fund. So in a lot of ways, people will go, well, you've kind of been in finance the whole time. Yes, I have, but I wasn't client facing. So in that regard, I was a career changer because my eight years at the hedge fund was really operational. I was running a lot of you know, projects to um, crank out daily profit and loss statements and supporting business units and da-da-da-da-da and trade functions. So it wasn't what people look at me today and you know talk to clients about their financial goals and stuff like that. It was nothing like that. So um, that's how my path started. But towards the end of that stint, um, we were coming upon the, the housing crisis and I was feeling somewhat a little maybe constrained, maybe bored, uh, probably a combination of both of those things in that career. And so I left. And when I left, I didn't really have a immediate, an immediate direction I should go in. So, you know, it was 2006, 2007. Why not start with real estate? Well, if anybody's been around long enough uh, with a date of birth prior to 1980, uh, they probably know what would happen. Uh, 2007 to early 2009, we had the um, uh, we had the Great Recession. So the timing was sublime <laughs> <laughs> on my end, um, and uh, I learned some things, um, quite a few things about myself and others. Uh, but it all ended me back in a spot of wanting to uh, contribute in a way with people reaching their financial goals. So. That led me to get my life in health and my Series 7, Series 66. I worked for a broker-dealer. Uh, that situation didn't pan out too well. They they went defunct, and I found myself with a book of clients and no home, um, and eventually had to pivot again. And so I always tell career changers, this is not a linear path. It is totally okay for you to bounce around and find different things and 
uh, fits and starts and all this other kind of stuff, because that is part of how you learn and it's part of how you grow. Um, and then around 2010-ish, I found a home with a local RIA that was growing. And I spent six years there um, developing my client facing skills, uh, portfolio management skills. Um, I ran a, I built and ran a municipal bond desk for six years. So I learned a whole lot there. And towards the end of that, I decided to go back to school and get my master's degree. And that curriculum was to pre prepare me for the chartered financial analyst exam, which is a beast of an exam. I failed level one and I said, you know what? Maybe I don't want to do this. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to do CFA. It's hard. And, you know, I had younger kids then and I finished up my grad degree and I had some uh, relationship managers in the office that we were in that were studying for the certified private wealth advisor through, um, at that time, I think it was the uh, Chicago Booth School of Business that did it. Uh, MCA, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was the, they've changed their name too. I think it's the Investment Wealth Institute or something now. But anyways, um, I started looking into that, that CPWA and that research got me to start looking at, well, what are the comparable designations like this one? Because this one was a more high net worth and I knew I didn't think I wanted to kind of stay in that field. So I started looking at CHFC through the American College and I also looked at CF, CFP. And the one that resonated with me the most was the CFP. And it, the rest is pretty much history after that. You know, I did a transcript challenge for all the grad stuff I did. And I took like three classes, um, really back to back. And I studied for my exam, passed it in the first try. And about a month after that, since I had all their experience already, I was able to use the mark. So that's pretty much my path. And I started my RIA in the same year in 2016. Awesome. That's yeah, that's a that's a great path, you know, lots of twists and turns, but you know, that's what makes it interesting, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, I think you made a great point too about um, you know, sometimes people are career changers and they don't even realize that they themselves are career changers. Like you said, you know, being in a hedge fund and then switching to advising, you know, people say, Oh, you're still in the industry, it's not really a career change, but you know, you're still doing something completely different from your day to day. And I find that with my students all the time, you know, they're, they're, they were a compliance officer and now they want to be an advisor or, you know, they were a, you know, a wholesale mutual fund uh, salesman and now they want to be an advisor. And it's like, just because you're in the industry doesn't mean that you're not doing a complete, you know, lateral shift career change of just doing something completely different from what you were doing before. No, that's a great point. I was speaking with uh, Hannah Moore about this, and she's like, this is definitely a very lateral move industry versus linear. And I thought that was a great observation because in most career paths, especially for industries that have been around a long, longer time, and we can talk about this later, but financial services is actually not that old, especially when we talk about the front facing aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, but other pathways like engineers and stuff like that, you know, they got all these different, you know, steps up a ladder that is, you know, for the most part, a pretty much straight line. Yeah. Uh, whereas here, you know, people can, you know, I have friends just like what you're saying. They've done all kinds of things in the industry, um, just sampled <laughs> various <laughs> positions and roles and um, ended up in the spot that they've kind of carved out for themselves. And so I think to that point, actually, um, that is probably what gives career changers 
and just aspiring financial pro professionals, period, a little bit of pause about this career because there's a lack of certainty around not having mm -hmm. that linear, linear path. And, you know, humans, we like certainty. We're creatures of habit, you know, so we like that routine that we can kind of relax in that and be comfortable with that. And uh, even if you're not an entrepreneurial, there's some very, let's call it entrepreneurial tendencies that you need to be successful in this career. Um, and I think that just quite honestly, I think that scares a lot of people because they're like, OK, so what should I do next? And we're like, well, there's not really a blueprint for that. Um, you can do whatever you want. And people are like, what? Whatever I want. Like, that's, that's scary <laughs> to me. So uh, I think that that's part of it. And another thing, this is probably why people gravitate so much to the axiom of education first, because that's the most certain part. Like that's the part I know, I can take these classes, I take this test, I study for this, and then I can check off the box and that's what I've done. But when it comes to the actual getting your fingers a little dirty and rolling up your sleeves and you have to network, you gotta go talk with people, you gotta go to different events and you gotta intern, you gotta do all this other kind of stuff where you have no blueprint for that. That's the part that gets a little scary, I think for people. Yeah, you often either have to take a, you know, a step to the right or a step to the left before you can go forward because, you know, sometimes there's just something in your path. You know, personally for me, like right out of college, I started on a mutual fund desk. So I only had the Series 6 and then, you know, hey, I want to, you know, I want to get some more. I want to get more involved in this industry, but there's no real path forward in the mutual fund desk. You know, this is as far as I can go. So I had to take a step to the right, you know, join the international trading desk in order to get my Series 7. And then that, you know, opened up my path to move forward. So, you know, it, it, you're right. It can be scary. You know, you don't have that, that reliability, uh, that constant, you know, path upwards. But, you know, in this industry, sometimes, a, a, you know, a sidestep is, is better than a forward step as far as, you know, the overall trajectory of your career. No, I, I think that's very true. I like that sidestep instead of a forward <laughs> step. Why don't you don't go backwards too much? Yeah, just try not to go backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm hearing from people that are considering the move from kind of the far out space, right? So yeah, let's talk about them too because they're they're important as well. Yeah, we've I've heard uh, and crossed paths with engineers, with people that were art history majors, or people that were Italian literature majors that found their way through the CFP program. It's always fun to hear about you know where's your where's your story? Where'd you what, come from? One of my favorite is uh, an ocean biologist. I'm like, what are you oh, doing? Yeah, yeah. You're swimming with dolphins and now you want to go work in finance? Like, <laughs> let's switch. <laughs> um, what prompted that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but with that, with, with their situation, what I'm hearing is I'm at this point in my career in this space. I am willing to take a couple steps back to a, a, just a more lower tier job for that experience. So I get a better grip of, of what this is about, how it looks in the real world and in real life. Um, are you seeing that Dominique in, in your work as well from people that come from way out there professions in relation to finance? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the most, while you guys are saying, I was trying to think of the most way out profession I have come across. I've actually come across a couple of dancers. I'm thinking about right now, uh, Danae Hanna, who's currently a, a, a credit financial counselor. Um, and I met her at the, uh, one of the conferences that Quad A put on a couple of years back, maybe a few years back at this point. And I think the common thread, no matter how far out or how close in you come from, um, that I've heard 
repeatedly is this this draw this inner voice that calls people to want to help people right it it begins there at the very base level and then there's also a layer to that which if i'm talking to you know whether if i'm talking to Danae or i'm talking to uh, diana yanez that are like they they want to go back to their community and they want to see change they want to be the change agent for you know financial literacy or financial education however however it may be and so what i'm finding is i'm finding people that have a deep call to help and they know that one of the best ways to affect people as far as their trajectory in life and how successful they are is how they handle their money and so you know the cfp is one path obviously and coaching is another path and therapy is another path and um counseling is another path so you know people are just kind of finding where they can fit themselves in along this continuum of advice and doing the best they can to help and finding the 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 partners and the education and the certifications that will allow them to feel confident in the advice that they're giving that's what i'm really um, if I was to tie it all together, that's what I'm really seeing. I think for a long time, you know, you judge by how far you were in your career by, you know, what your paycheck was or like what your job title was. And a lot of people, you know, are still kind of used to using that as their measure of success. And, you know, I, I've noticed a change too that people aren't really putting as much emphasis on that anymore because they do want to feel fulfilled with their job. You know, like, like, like Dom, like you said, they, they really want to help, you know, they would rather take a job that pays half as much, but they get to, you know, interact with clients all day and, um, you know, help them with their problems than just being, you know, a, a higher paying job with a fancier title, but they don't get to interact with anyone. And they're just, you know, basically uh, paper pushers is, is their day-to-day interaction. You know, there, it, it goes to show that, there's more to life than just money and job titles. You know, people do want to feel fulfilled in their role. Yeah. And I think you guys probably heard of this, but that study that basically showed, I think it's around, I don't know if this is inflation indexed or not, but let's just say the number is $70,000, something like that between 60 and $70,000. Mm-hmm. There's no more um, benefit that comes from adding another marginal dollar to that because at that stage, your needs are basically met. And if we kind of just think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yep. you're basically done past that. You don't really get too much more utility value by adding more zeros. So I think that resonates with a lot of people. Um, zeros are great, but zeros without fulfillment don't tend to go very far. Yeah, but- it's the, you know, it, it turns out money does buy happiness, but it's only about $70,000. After that, <laughs> money doesn't buy happiness anymore. <laughs> yeah, yep. you're, right. you're right. So Dom, in your, in your world and in your work, um, you, you recognize, and I, I, I'm guessing you just heard these stories from people and you designed this uh, jumpstart university for people that are in this place, right? To, to help them get a little more guidance and a little more direction. Can you speak to, to that for a little bit? Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the evolution of Jumpstart. Uh, this was, I can't take credit fully for this. Um, yes, I've done a lot of the work and I am the face now and yada, yada, yada. But um, I, I had the early uh, benefit of people, of hanging around people that were much smarter than me. Let's put it that way. And so I partnered early with Patrick Brewer, 
um, who was just starting his own consulting firm. And I got the opportunity to look inside dozens of practices for existing financial professionals. I was running my RIA at that time. Uh, I hired a video coach that knew way more about YouTube than I did. Um, I've also married up in my life. And so my wife is smarter than myself <laughs> also. So the combination of all these factors uh, led to this confluence of two things that I think a lot of people looking at Jumpstart now probably don't know, which was I bought in early and hunkered down and doubled down continually on video. Um, I, that was by far probably one of my best investments of time and money, you know, going five years back. Uh, the second thing I, I thought about is people like community, specifically when it comes to how they're going to go about doing something, you know, let's just say done with you, done for you, um, do it on your own. Most people like done with you, um, especially in the space that we're talking about. And so I start thinking early about how that model would work. Now, my first iterations of this were not perfect at all, and it's not even perfect now, but I think we're closer to hitting on what people see now, which is this basically this space to come and learn about financial services. So when I when I looked at the you know the industry as a whole back five years ago, four or five five years ago, I was like, why is it so freaking hard for people to understand how to get into this industry? And I thought just because I was an insider, that's the reason why I knew, right? Mm -hmm. But I wanted to kind of separate myself from that and go, let me really objectively look at this and see why people are having such a hard time because it seemed pretty easy to me. But when I look back, I was like, well, first of all, you have this bifurcation between, do I take the traditional path, which is governed by the Investment Advisor Act of 1940, or do I take a more non-traditional path? So people have to figure that part out and they have to figure out why they wanted to do those paths. And then they, you know, FINRA has got 180 designations on their website. So then they have to figure out that and navigate that. And so there were just so many different things and different pockets of information. I was like, it'd be really cool if this was all in one spot. And since I've been doing this for so long, I knew it, right? And so I just start building um, community and services and, you know, products around that idea to give people basically this repository of mostly free information to help them figure out what their path should be uh, when it came to becoming a financial professional. That's great. And, and can I speak to the one thing that I, I learned about, about what you do that I think is fantastic? Um, and, I, and I hope there are people listening out there that can get in touch with you to learn more about it. But um, personally, even though I wasn't doing really intensive planning work, some of the most formative experiences in my work, my career thus far, in terms of learning about what personal planning looks like was working in an RIA um, as, as a you know, junior advisor, as someone doing performance reporting, helping clients out and getting to see how it all works, right? How it all comes together. Now you, you offer that to a limited group of people with your RIA, right? Just to get a sense of, of what the day-to-day -day looks like, you know, how the work actually looks and feels in real time, right? Yeah, I, I think this, it's so key, I think, this, this in, insight. Um, Hannah Moore, good friend, um, local here in Dallas, we were talking about this, and 
the direction they, they kind of went with was with the FPA externship. But when we were talking about this years ago, I was like, you know, one of the hardest things for career changers, aspiring financial professionals to do, even if they've, so I had a conversation and I'm not going to name her name. Uh, she's doing really well right now. So it probably would be a really great story, but I don't want to release, uh, I want to keep the this story private. So I talked to her early in the jumpstart days and the conversation went something like, I'm studying for my CFP now. And when I pass it, um, I, you know, it was like, I'll, I'll, I'll just get a job. And I was like, well, maybe like, like it doesn't like, just because you get the CFP doesn't mean that somebody's going to hire you. It, you know, you might have to layer that with some extra things. And so we went back and forth and she was an early community member. And what I started to realize is that there is this gap with when I finish the education part of this CFP, let's have it, then how do I get the experience part? Because that's the part that takes the longest. That's the part that like you need the insight to. That's the part that yeah. firm owners that I talk to are like, dude, Dominique, bring me somebody with the EQ and the bedside manner. I can teach them the technical stuff, right? And so I was. that's where I wanted to kind of hang my shingle or my niche, if you will, mm -hmm. and helping with that what is building a plan like look like? Like, where are you going? What are the conversations like with, with a client? Like, how are you able to leverage what you know as a career changer as being able to de-escalate de conflict, active listening, communication, all this other kind of stuff? How do you put that together to deliver financial services? And so, yeah, I think it's a very worthwhile needed thing in the industry um, and it, my, my, I'm doing a cohort right now. We're in week six of eight, where we just kind of going through all those steps. We talk about people's why and mindset, because that's a huge part of it, because a lot of people come in as career changers with this imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. which I get because, you know, they haven't done it before. It's new to them. It's it, studying for the CFP exam is a little different than actually practicing. Um, they're both needed and they're both necessary, but I'll tell you, they're two different animals. And so people bridging that gap from, okay, I read this in a book. I saw this in a class. I, I, I successfully mastered it on the exam. How does it apply in daily life though? Right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where I'm really trying to help the next generation in understanding that and how those, where those applications make the most sense. That's great. And, yeah. and yeah, Jerry, I, I'm sure that that applies to you as well, right? Just in, in your work, just being able to see that firsthand. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Can't can't trade it for anything, really. Yeah. And I know one, one of the things, and uh, Dominique, when you and I talked last, uh, one of the things, small things that we're doing in our program, because we are on the, the CFP track, right? We have CFP education at BIF, we have yep. uh, review, and um, we really do try to be aware of where career changers are in the program and to offer support and offer space for them to, to dialogue about this stuff because it can be really weird. It can be really esoteric. It could be just something, I'm not connecting the dots here. Why does it work this way? And one of the things that we've started to do in the review phase is to partner up career changer with someone that has the experience, you know, three to five plus, and they become study partners. And, mm -hmm. and you get, you get, you know, it's that work with idea, right? Working with one another, um, where we're each able to learn differently from one another. Um, yeah. Cause that's a big thing too, is, you know, a lot of people think being a career changer is a disadvantage, but 
in a lot of ways, having fresh eyes on something gives you an advantage because you're not set in your ways. You know, I tutor a lot of people who have been advisors for 30 years and they struggle with a lot of the content because they're like, oh, uh, I can't answer this question. It's asking about taxes. We're not allowed to talk about taxes at my firm. I'm like, okay, but <laughs> the CFP board wants to know what the answer is. So you better talk about taxes right here. <laughs> and they just, they, they get in these runs and they don't really understand the difference between like firm policy and law and fiduciary policy. And, you know, whereas a career changer is just like, oh, well, this is what I got to do. So I'm going to do it. This is Adam from the Biff Crew. Now, if you're listening into the podcast and you're finding our conversations of interest, if you're finding the material that we talk about helpful, if you're looking to take your knowledge of personal financial planning to the next level, then you need to consider the Bryant University and Biff CFP education program. This program was written and it's delivered by the Biff team. And one of the things that we pride ourselves on is being accessible to serve as your guides and support you for the entire CFP education journey. And all throughout that journey, you have access to practitioners and to experts that are gonna help you to understand these concepts and also help to best prepare you for your CFP exam. So if you're looking for a CFP education program with great support and the Biff Bites crew, then the Bryant University Biff CFP education is for you. For more information, visit bryantcfp.com. Dominique, I have I have a question just continuing with the uh, the RIA piece. So, hypothetical, right? You are you are looking for a new hire at your firm. Okay? Um, Regardless of, of experience, what are what's the skill set that you're you're really locked into that you want to see for those people, you know, from inside or outside the the industry? What what resonates with you? Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, ironically enough, last week in our cohort, we talked about the ten or fifteen questions that you should be bringing to an interview with a financial services firm. And that was actually their homework. I gave them that as homework. I was like, write that down, like go dissect the ADV um, and come up with 10 or 15 questions. So we're going to actually be going over that in about three hours, actually. So, um, but I, 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 I prefaced your, my answer with that because I think this is, this is, um, you know how, when you're going into a job interview, if you're a career changer and you're like, I want to be hired and I need to, I need to put my best foot forward and I need to show them this. You're also getting into a partnership with this RIA too. So you want to, you want to be vetting them just as much as they're vetting you. Now there is a way to do this that is not unpolite or impolite or is not disrespectful, but at the same time, I want career changers to at least when they're talking to me, I want them to have confidence about what they bring to the table. So by far, I think that's probably one of the first things that I'm going to be looking for is how confident do they feel, especially when I start asking them why they want to be in financial services, what draw them to, drew them to this career path? What's their story? Tell me your story. Um, very much like a prospect meeting, you know, like when I'm sitting back and I'm asking them, you know, why do you want to save $10 million? Where'd you get that number from? You know, well, I want to retire early. Well, why do you want to retire early? Well, because I want to spend more time with my kids. Well, 
we actually don't need $10 million to spend more time with our kids. And we don't need to retire early. To <laughs> so uh, we, we can talk about that a little bit more. But, I, you know, I, I, I'm i probably not the best salesman. I'm probably not any of that stuff. But I, I, I definitely ask really great questions. And so beyond confidence, another thing I'm going to be looking for is I'm going to be looking with how do you resolve conflict? Now, I think a lot of people think maybe conflict comes in this in, you know, <laughs> possibly the last um, three or four months that you've been an investor uh, and you've had a financial advisor. Maybe maybe that people look at the conflict as that. Um, I think that is an aspect of it where somebody calls you up and says, I, my, my, my portfolio is is dying. What do I need to do, Dominique? But I'm thinking of it more of a standpoint of sometimes the beneath the surface unseen stuff. Right. You know, the question beyond the question. The, the, the interesting body language or shifts in tone that a client may give you during a conversation when you get to a, let's call it an uncomfortable subject. I want to know how people develop or have developed that skill to discern that and resolve it possibly. Because I've said this many times, and it's not my own phrase, but personal finance is such a more personal than finance, right? Um, Adam, when we did the podcast, you talked about the story of the priests and what keeps him up at night. And this is a man of the cloth yeah. being kept up at night by his finances, right? So yeah. um, there's a lot of uh, psychology that goes behind this. And what I don't want someone that works for me or works in this industry, period, to allow, let's call it conventional heuristics and the, the dogma that is usually presented when it comes to financial services. I don't want that to mask how people are really, really needing help in these areas, right? Because people put on all kinds of masks. We know this when it comes to their finances. And in order for them to get the breakthrough they need and the opportunity to change their family tree, they're going to have to be transparent with you. And one way they're able to do that is when you show up the best version of yourself, right? You've done the work. Like, you know, you can't come in there and you haven't ever done a financial plan trying to walk somebody empathetically through the financial planning process. It just doesn't work like that. So I'm looking for all those different things because I'm more about the the character, the actual human, because that's what you're dealing with. You're de we're dealing with humans here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, now, you, you touched on this a little bit, um, Dominique, but I, I wanted to kind of tackle it, uh, you know, grab the bull by its horns. Um, let's go. Let's double click. <laughs> there, there's a there's a there's a big debate right now about you know uh, going the more traditional route with a you know more established firm. You know, getting paired up, getting a getting a secretary, getting an office space, uh, or the more freedom route of you know starting your own R RIA and being much more on your own, but you know, having much more control over, you know, how you want to run your business. Um, do you think one is, is just uh, always better than the other, or does it depend on the person, depend on their, their stage in life? You know, where, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's definitely a confluence of things, Jerry. I would think maybe one word that comes to mind when you're trying to make a decision, let's just say, hypothetically, you are in a position to do either or, because everybody isn't. And maybe we can talk about that too, but let's just say you are. Um, what's your focus? Because mm -hmm. if you're going to go the route of more freedom, arguably, <laughs> uh, of, of being uh, self-employed, having your own RIA, 
what are you trying to build? Because you need to look past just like, I want to talk to clients about financial planning because you're building a business, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you're building it for enterprise value or what some people call, you know, like lifestyle practice really doesn't matter. You're going to have to wear a lot of hats and the likelihood that you're going to just be, you know, you know, picking daisies and just doing financial plans eight hours a day is really low, probably in the first two to three years. So you might want to consider that part because everybody's not built for that. And um, if your focus is just to um, just do financial plans, you may think about being a relationship manager service advisor with someone that you know, can handle the operations side. That, that might be a really great partnership for you, especially if you're just, you can just crank out, you know, eight to 10 meetings a day and just work through a client list. I don't necessarily know that you should have your own RIA because, I mean, I don't know that you're going to get to that in the first two or three years, as opposed to a model like you just named where you partner up with a more established firm or, or just a bigger RIA that always has, already has infrastructure. There's plenty of firms that have, believe it or not, an endless source of leads and they need servicing advisors to qualify these people and move them through the rest of the funnel. Um, and I think there's a lot of benefits from that because first of all, it's not like a prison sentence. You don't have to stay there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you can definitely learn. And I think at least the firm owners I've talked to, and I granted, I know they want ROI and they want you know some return on what they've invested uh, from a human capital standpoint, but I, I think people get it. I think firm owners get it unless there's like a succession plan in place and you sign something at the beginning. They 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 get that you may move around and not that might not be your last stop. I think people get that. And so that's okay. And so you may kind of, you know, sample a, a couple of different models before you just hang your shingle because it's it's more than a notion. I, I've <laughs> I've been quoted as saying starting a business is very difficult. Starting a financial advisory firm is like running through a brick wall, getting back up and doing it again. It's yeah. really hard. <laughs> like, I mean, ultimately what you have to do is you got to get people to trust you with their most prized asset, which is money. Mm-hmm. And I say the most valuable, I think time's the most valuable asset, but I think the most prized asset what people like, you know, put on the top of the pedestal is their money. They feel like they know what best to do with it because they've earned it. There's a lot of cognitive bias that goes on and and to break down those barriers is incredibly difficult. Yeah. So yeah, those are my thoughts around that. Yeah. And that is a good point is like, you know, like you said, not every firm's the same. You know, I remember when I was uh, in the beginning of the industry, I interviewed at probably five or six different firms and I was surprised that it's, you know, the way they have it set up is really like one firm, what you basically don't even have your own book of business. You are just an employee and they send you clients and you help those clients. And for someone who isn't, like you said, not built for it, you know, not built for building their own book of business, that could be a great firm to work for because you don't have to worry about, you know, where's your next meal coming from because the company is going to provide that. Uh, whereas, yeah. you know, um, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was, just, I was just going to opine on that for just a second. I think um, Pat Brewer and, and co came up with, I think six advisor archetypes. And I think it's really, really key for you to know who you are, right? Are you the rainmaker? Are you, you know, are you that person that basically brings in all the business, but like for all that that you do when you bring in the business, you really suck at the follow through, right? <laughs> yep. you, you, you don't know how to open accounts. You don't know how to do any of that kind of stuff. 
but you can go to a dinner party and you'll probably have four or five people calling your office the next day. Like, are you that? Are you more like the guardian that is kind of like the quintessential financial planner person that you talked about cranking through relationships, knowing all the details of the relationship, doing all that kind of stuff? You know, they're not going to be really good at generating business, but they will be really good at servicing a book. Right. Right. Then you get these visionaries. You know, there's, there's a lot of different types. And I think advisors do well to kind of know where they are in that space, what skills they have. And then finding whether or not they need to partner or whether or not they need to do their own or, you know, some version in between. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, like you said, that's probably why, you know, starting an RIA is just so difficult because you have to wear all six hats at once. (laughs) You know, there is no, you know, offloading that to someone else in the firm who's. And you need to be moderately good at all six. Yeah. Not to be perfect, but you need to be moderately good at all six. Otherwise, you're going to be out of business. Definitely. Now, uh, the thing that I think scares a lot of career changers is that first hat, though, the the getting clients, you know, is, it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's what I feel really sets a lot of people apart and, you know, maybe sends them more towards the the open arms of the the firms that are, you know, promised to just give them all the leads they want. Um, do you have any tips or tricks for uh, for career changers in that regard? Um, generally speaking, and I've helped one, two, I've helped at least a handful, probably about four or five career changers evaluate the notion of starting their own firm. And some went forward with it. Um, I don't recommend it. Mm -hmm. And here's why I think as a career changer, if you're coming in with a base knowledge of how to do your own finances, and maybe you've done pretty well in your retirement accounts, I'm a real stickler when it comes to, have you done well over the last 15 years? Cause we've had a bull market the last 15 years too. Like that doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. that you're Warren Buffett. Like, so there's that caveat. It's like I'm up but 15, I'm up 15%. That, well, the market's up 20. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, how smart are you when it comes to that? You will leave that for another day. I guess my point is, is I want a career changer to fully comprehend the magnitude of the seat you sit in. Let's just put personal accolades and knowledge aside for a second and just talk about as a financial professional, um, you sit in a very, very important sacred seat. You basically can be a guide to someone drastically changing their family tree for the better Mm -hmm. or for the worse. Right. And so when you think about the responsibility from that standpoint, I don't think that any career changer fully comprehending that is going to feel like they are ready and they shouldn't because they're not. This is being honest. They're not. You don't have enough. You you don't have enough of experience in this field. You can study CFP all you want and all these different designations. Nothing's going to prepare you for the first call that you got where their spouse died suddenly or Mm -hmm. they're getting a divorce or they got laid off from their job. Like the CFP curriculum does not prepare you for that, right? Yeah. And so those are the things that are, they don't happen all the time, but when they do happen, they're very, very important inflection points in the relationship of advisor and client. And I don't know that there's really anything that prepares you for that. Now, granted, I am trying to introduce some of those things into what we do at Jumpstart because that's just real life. 
Mm -hmm. right? You're going to have those things that happen. I had a client that's a really great friend. Matter of fact, we're going on a cruise in, in a couple of weeks together uh, with them. Um, and 10 years ago, her husband died suddenly, went downstairs and got on the treadmill and, and he died of a cerebral aneurysm. Oh. And their life was basically stopped, put on hold. Two little girls at that point in time. And I was a younger advisor, but I had two things going for me. I had the, the benefit of a team with a lot of experience. So I didn't have to walk through that on my own. Um, and we had really, really great, um, and she had really great um, other resources so that we did not have to make a decision immediately about what to do. Like she got to just absorb the grief of that moment, right, before moving on. And so all those different things are things that happen in life. And I wish the best of luck for all career changes that you never have to experience anything like that. But that does not mean that you will not. And I just don't think that you're ready coming out the gate to start your own firm. I think it's better to, to find a way to partner with somebody, learn, um, have that experience that is not 100% on you, that you're not having to buy every lesson. Um, that, that, I think that's important because it could shape you one way or another and affect the client. Yeah. I learned so much being an advisor's assistant. Um, you know, just like you said, you never know these situations that are coming across that, you know, you don't see those on the series seven and you don't see them on the CFB exam. You know, the CFB exam doesn't prepare you for a client spent all their money and now they're, you know, 80 years old and they have a balance of zero and they're still calling your office every day for trying to figure out, Hey, what do I do? And you, you know, you don't really have an answer for, well, you don't have any money anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I have a funny story. I, I tell this every once in a while. So the uh, RIA I worked at before I started DJH Capital Management um, had a, a lottery winner um, that came into the fold, I think about a year and some months before I got there. So I got there in 2010. So maybe look around, right around the end of the recession, they, they won the lottery. Um, and this just goes to show that mine, that you can have how many reserves you want, but if you don't have the mindset of someone that wants to build wealth, doesn't really matter. And it can be extremely either frustrating as an advisor, you don't know how to handle that personality type, um, or, or, or you do the right thing as advisor, uh, which they didn't do it at that firm. But if I had that client right now, um, just to be really frank, I would probably fire them because they're more of a liability than anything. But this is what happened. So they come in with, I think, a net deposit of somewhere between 12 and $13 million. And at one point, I remember looking at their income, their projected income. And this is when muni bond rates are pretty good, but they were, no lie, they were receiving from the portfolio we built them a half a million dollars tax-free <laughs> every year. You can live off that forever. That's more than anyone well, could ever need, right? That's what you could, that's what you would think. You would be also wrong, Jerry. Because when I left six years later, that $13 million was down to one and a half million. And I was just like, how does this happen? <laughs> how in the world did this happen? Um, just to your point, money can't buy happiness, but they were trying to find it. They were trying to find a way to buy happiness and it just didn't work. And so you, the lesson in that for people listening is as a advisor, you're not only going to have to deal with, you know, the management of those funds, it, unless you choose to outsource it or something like that, 
but you're going to have to deal with the, the conversations. And I had plenty of them where they were calling up and they were like, Hey, I need another half a million deposited in my account. And the, the, the fine line between what do you need that money for when you know it's theirs and you see this pattern of behavior and you're wanting to stop them. In this particular case, this guy was younger than me, had kids younger than me. And I'm like, like what are you going to do? You're going to be working like like you're probably he probably has a job now. Yeah. So um, all that to say, man, you know, those skills, you don't just absorb those. Skills. Now, granted, you could have had a career that allowed you to have these type of, you know, um, practices going on. But I'm going to tell you, when you're in the when you're in the midst of the fire, it's great to have a, a team to lean on or a senior advisor to lean on in these particular situations because they can be, you know, particularly uncomfortable to have. <laughs> I'll yeah. tell you that right now. <laughs> For sure. And it's true, you know, I, I was just reading the study. It said, you know, 66% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And that 66% spans across all income levels. You know, oh, yeah. it's like, it's just some people, I mean, it's good job security for us, I guess, but <laughs> some people just don't know how to manage money and they can be making $500,000 a year and it doesn't matter because it's money in money out to them and they're still living paycheck to paycheck. Hey everyone, Jerry here with the Biff Bites crew. I just wanted to take a moment to remind you to check out all our great free content over at BiffBites.com. We have articles, tutorial videos, practice questions, and of course more awesome episodes of the Biff Bites podcast. Our goal here at Biff is to help each and every one of you achieve your CFP goals no matter how far along in the process you are. So if you're just starting off, or only a few short days from sitting from the exam, join Mike, Adam, Brendan, and me as we tackle the CFP over at BiffBites.com. I, I get the sense that some of the uh, the future stars of the profession are that our career changers are going to come from mm. like social work, you know, mm, like yeah. helping profession that where you're dealing with people, you're dealing with crises, you're having hard conversations, you're you're referring people out to people when you realize you're at your threshold do they need extra help um yeah well that's that's incredible <laughs> yeah I, I mean a lot of that you, you bring up a great point adam in that um because of the way i think things are kind of trending at least in personal fi finance i think being able to be that triage trauma practitioner is going to that's going to be a skill set that's highly valued uh being able to quote unquote talk people down because um i think in the age that we live in see what a lot of people don't know and i've just been around long enough and i've kind of studied this so we've had so many different evolutions of of uh in this industry but basically you know you had up until let's call it the internet age the technology age where all the information when it come to, came to what the client needed to do was really sitting in a suit and tie behind a mahogany desk, right? And you had to go to your advisor and you had to say, please, <laughs> oh gracious advisor, give me what you think I should do. And that was how things did. I mean, I'm just trying to be, I mean, I'm bringing a little levity to it, but that's how it was. No, there, was definitely, yeah. there was a, there was not an, it was an asymmetrical exchange, if you will, right? You would give them this fee and they would give you this information. Well, fast forward to 2022 and even before this, we got all types of ways to get the information. And what I would say right now, anybody trying to hang their value 
on holding the information, like the clients can't go get it or find it, you're going to be out of business real soon. This is probably not the profession for you because what I say is clients don't need more information. They just need um, a couple of things. They need disaggregation of the important from the non-important or necessary. Um, and they need you to help them form a strategy around what's relevant to them. And so that means that attention spans are really short mm-hmm. and people can make what I would call suboptimal decisions because they kind of feel like they have all this stuff at their fingertips. You know, I can go find financial <laughs> advice on TikTok or wherever, and they'll go ahead and do something like that. Um, and then they'll come from come come to you in crisis mode. And if you can navigate that really well, there that's a niche for you, right? Yep. So I, I think we're going to have more of that going on. Unfortunately, I, I think it's a it's a it's yeah. a catch twenty two kind of. Yeah, you know what's interesting is I see on 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 kind of a spectrum of this with the the clients out there, right? I think in the DIY world, they want to be educated. They're 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 hungry for the information. And the planners that serve them are super open with, with sharing. That's, that's what they do. They share the right information and it's the collaboration they pay for. Let me, let me get your, your trained eyes on this and let's collaborate. Give me what I need and I'm going to go do my thing. But even with people that delegate, um, you'll hear, oh, I looked at that tax form. It doesn't say anything about this. I learned, I watched a YouTube video on that and, and it's, it, they're hungry yeah. for the information too. And I totally agree with you, Dom. I don't think it's a one way. I'm 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 the keeper of the information. You, we have our opportunity twice a year, maybe, where we sit down and I share all this information with you. It's about how, yeah. how are you helping me now? <laughs> how does how are you going to help me to know enough so that I feel secure in this too, and I know that we're making the right choices. Yeah. And as they a don't team. want to pay for stock pickers, you know. Why am I going to pay you, you know, a $200 commission for a trade you recommend when I can go on, you know, Reddit and get some, some guy giving it to me for free (laughs) might not be the best for free, but it's free. (laughs) Yeah. I I think you guys make a couple of good points in that. I think what people are, when I say people, I mean, consumers of financial services, what they're largely looking for right now, at least the, 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 the people you described, the delegators and even the DIY they're looking for access. And um, I'm just thinking about the amount of clients that uh, obviously contract contact me electronically and a lot that text, right? Uh, because that, that medium is, I feel like I'm more in touch with you, right? If I, if I can text you, right? That's a, and you have to put some boundaries around that too. But the point is, is that is a more sacred space um, to quote unquote invade. And I think, um, where, where I'm going with this is that I think the, the next gen financial professional, whether they choose to do CFP or not, they're going to be pretty ambidextrous across these access points. Like if you're like, I only meet people in my office on Mondays and Wednesdays and every blue moon, it's like, okay, then that's going to be a problem because people have life happening to them all the time and they, they want real time you know, access. And that's what they're paying for. I mean, more than anything, I, even more, I think, than information. And even sometimes more than my expertise, because to be quite honest, I think my 25 years married and having three adult children probably serves me a little bit better than my CFP does, just because I've experienced some life, right? And I can intermingle that. But uh, I, I think people are looking for, um, 
You know, I, I, I've often said this, and, and I, I'd be curious to what you guys think, because, but I, I haven't had too many people that have come into a relationship with me or inquired about my services that aren't in some type of crisis. Like they had some type of event happen. They had a job change. They had a death in the family. They had kids getting ready to go to college. They, they, they had something going on. Nobody just sits around and goes, you know what? Right now, I think I want to go speak with Adam of Green Beach. That's what I want to do. I want to make a financial plan right now. Nobody does that. It's always based on some type of need. And I think if 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 the next generation gets that in their head about this is very much about what can you do for me? Now I know that sounds kind of crass, but that's that's just and the, what have you done for me lately? It, right. So you know, if you're, if you're asking lately, yeah. And when you so when you're asking about how to you know some tips on building your book. Well, if you're going to start a firm, you definitely need to know who you're going to focus on as a client. Who are you going to serve and what is your value proposition? What is the benefit of them talking with you versus the other 300,000 people that Cerulean Associates says that are calling themselves financial advisors? Like, what do they yeah. get for talking with Dominique? What is, what, what is, the, what is the hook, you know? Because, and, and be able to talk about it in less than 30 seconds. So, that almost points to a skill that is uh, a little different than being able to study and pass the exam. That is a, how well can you talk about yourself and how well do you communicate a value proposition? How well do you ask questions to find out what people need and where they are? Like that's the skill you really need to develop if you want to yeah. start your own. And uh, I think you make a great point too about the texting too. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's funny. I see a lot of parallels in the financial advising industry and also the, uh, you know, mental health therapy, uh, industry where, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been unheard of for you to text your financial advisor or text your therapist. And now I see like commercials of, Hey, sign up for, you know, better health or whatever this is. And it's like, you can text your advisor whenever you want. And then, you know, you got advisors saying, Hey, here's my, here's my number. Text me anytime you have questions. And it just, you're right. It's, it really comes down to, they're paying for access. And that really seems to be what people hunger for is being able to, to reach out and, and get that, uh, you know, uh, peace of mind, you know, from both industries, <laughs> you know, I got off the phone with my financial advisor and then I'm getting on the phone with my therapist to talk about, you know, what this market's looking like. <laughs> and they're telling me the same thing. <laughs> in that order, in that order too, because of how things are They're telling me yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Jerry, that makes so 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 We have to be able to, uh, I think that one of the, the, maybe the, the one gripe I have against financial services is that we're, relatively yeah. still behind the curve when it comes to all the available tools from a technological standpoint um, versus what we've chosen, because it is a choice, to employ. Because, you know, when you think about, I don't have to leave, like I can sit right here, order groceries for next week. I can cancel my HelloFresh. I can get a book to read on my cruise, all from <laughs> sitting right here. Like I don't have to move, right? Like. In what ways can we take some of that convenience um, and bring it into financial services, right? One of my biggest pain points, and I'm still working on this, is the onboarding process. Yeah. Onboarding process is like going to the dentist, which yeah. no one likes to do. Yep. And it's like, how can we make that easier? And I'm waiting for maybe a career changer that is a scrum master in project management or something like that to come in, please, <laughs> different set of eyes on it and say, why aren't you guys doing this? 
He's like, I, I don't know. Let's try it. <laughs> you know, so that mean, like, you, that's you, what I'm looking the nail for. Head. My last firm that I left before starting this job back in, I think it was like 2017. When I left them, you still had a fax paperwork in. They wouldn't accept an email. They wouldn't, it had to be a fax. I'm like, it is 2017 and you are requiring, like a lot of our clients don't even know what a fax machine is. <laughs> and, you're, and you're requiring a fax and you won't. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to do one work. I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I give, I got one, I got one that won you up. So I just bought an insurance policy. Everything was electronic. And insurance industry has been doing this for a while. So that's why I say it's choice because I've taken the umbrella of financial services and I've taken a segment within it insurance, life insurance particularly, and everything was electronic. I did not have to exchange any papers, no wet signatures, wet signatures. I'm, that's air quotes <laughs> for anybody listening here. And I need a margin agreement added to a client's account in a pretty, you know, um, hurried manner. And I just got um, all the paperwork back and I'm going to send it back today because they need wet signatures. The client actually needed this done like last week. They just told me last week, but it's like the turnaround time is at least a week because I'm waiting for their signatures to come back to me so that I can then send them to home office. Yeah. I'm like, really? Yeah. What are we trying? What, like, why is it that the insurance industry can validate electronic signatures, but the financial services industry, particularly, you know, custodians, mm -hmm. big custodians can't? It just seems asinine yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah, that's my own personal right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, hey, I thought maybe a good way to close here, Dominique. Um, if if you had, and and let's let's go broader than career changers. Um, I think that one big challenge for people that that want to learn how to to be more aligned with comprehensive planning, right? I think the CFP makes a lot of sense. Um, just just some of your advice, both from your experience and what you see with the people that you serve at Jumpstart University. Like what what qualities do you see uh, that really can help people get through, regardless of where they're coming from? Yeah. Um, hmm. Where do I want to start on this one? That's a really great question. Anybody been listening for the last few minutes will be like, I kind of stumped Dominique. Dominique is a talker. I think um, the first thing I would want them to do is do their research. Um, there's a lot of pathways. We've named several of them in this conversation, but I think one of the quickest ways to waste time and money is to go like bore right into something without doing the proper amounts of research. And that's pretty much with anything, especially with this, right? I mean, the, the CFP is not cheap from a time or money standpoint by any stretch of the imagination, even with scholarships. And so I think people should do their requisite amount of research. You know, go to a financial planning association local meeting and go talk to, I mean, the, the uh, FPA of Dallas just had a, you know, they do this all the time. They just had a Rangers game where you're gonna be sitting around, you know, 10 or 15 firm owners. Ask them who they serve, ask them why they got in the industry, ask them if they have their CFP. If they have their CFP, why did you choose CFP over that? You know, ask, have conversations like that. I think th those give you a, a wealth of information, so much more than you can get online, 
even through Jumpstart University, I would love people to check out my stuff. But that conversation you're going to have at like at a Rangers game with everybody's hair down, you're going to get some really, really great information. So I think that would be one thing that I would say is do your research. Um, probably second to that, I think it's probably good for you to join a community um, of other like minded individuals that are going down the same path as you. Um, you're not going to get any really real glory or let's call it benefit utility value from saying I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps when it came to finding out this is the career for me and doing it all on my own. I, I don't know that there's any value in that. And so what I would say for people is to find somebody that you can um, mimic and partner with um, when it comes to this. I, I've had this framework that I've been talking to career changers uh, about for a long time, which is, you know, discover your why, uh, which will inevitably lead you to a who, which will help you determine the how. So if you could follow those steps and look, it's not going to be the easiest thing you've ever done. Uh, on my Twitter, it says, choose your version of heart. That's like one of my mantras. Like you get to choose your version of heart. Uh, <laughs> this will be hard. I'm not even trying to blow smoke, but um, anything that's Worth it is hard, right? I, 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 don't, I don't think I would want it any other way, uh, to be quite honest. So that would probably be the first things I would tell people to do, because, I mean, it, there's a lot. There's there's big, you know, matter of fact, I have a, a challenge that I take people through that we talk about 12 steps. And so those initial steps, though, start with doing the research, probably joining a community of the like-minded individuals uh, and, and getting really, really, really uh, comfortable with why you want to do this. Yeah. I like that a lot. I, I like how that ties in what you brought up before, how you were looking yourself. Where do I go to next? I don't want to be CFA, maybe CHFC. No, CFP. And I, and I went online and I learned about it. And I did the same thing. I mean, when I was making that choice to pursue this, it was just in, in the articles I was reading. It kept on coming up. And mm. now I started digging a little bit. Here's why you would do this. This is what this is about. This is what it looks like. And... Yeah. And yeah, there's some good information out there from from very smart people and, and people that just haven't had that experience. So let me let me throw one more plug. I would definitely recommend for anyone that is career changing, specifically interested in the CFP path to grab Nancy Langdon Jones book. Um, so you want to be a financial planner. I think that is a it's a must read for anybody. And it's not even like a like a technical book like that. It's basically a compilation of stories of career changers and aspiring financial professionals that went down the path. Yeah. And oh, that's so, great. Yeah. If people don't know about that, I would definitely recommend that. I had her on the podcast um, several months back and she was just a jewel of information, even at 80 plus. So <laughs> that's excellent. Excellent. Um, speaking of Dominique, so you got, you got the podcast, uh, you got the school, you know, do anything you want to plug, uh, you know, let people, you know, if, if people want to reach out, where, where can they find you? Things like that. Yeah. Um, so if you're interested, if you were intrigued by this conversation, you definitely need to visit jumpstartcoachinglab.com. Um, as a broader um, encompassing of, of Dom too, there's DomHendersonSR.com. I would say if you're if you're if you're a career changer or aspiring financial professional, you're definitely going to get you're going to end back up at JumpstartCoachingLab.com. <laughs> I'm actually doing a challenge at the end of this month on the 29th and the 30th. So if you're a career changer and you're like trying to evaluate whether or not 
you should do financial planner or advisor or counselor or coach or CFP or any of those type of things. We talk about that all during the challenge over two days. Uh, just kind of give you a, a, a dip your toe experience, a little peek behind the Wizard of Oz curtain to kind of see like, what is this all about? Um, and we do that. Uh, we try to do it monthly, but this is probably going to be the last one of 2022 because I plan to take um, some much needed time <laughs> off during November and December. So, all right. The career changer challenge you can get from you can get to from jumpstartcoachinglab.com. Excellent. Awesome. That's great. Well, Don, it was a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, you know, definitely had some laughs. Yes, you guys too. <laughs> this is fun. This is fun. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Um, and with that, uh, we are going to wrap it up. We'll stay tuned. We're going to have some more Biff Bites podcast coming up soon. Uh, and as always, study on, everyone. Thank you.